0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the sixth part in our series, Rome, The Decline of Democracy. Where we last off, Caesar Augustus is finishing up his rule as the first true emperor of the imperial age and has slowly rebuilt the rule of law within Rome and has been tactfully rooming his heirs to take over in his place. Brett, let's continue onward. Sounds good, Aaron, thanks for having me back. So Augustus Caesar
1: is now the top is now standing at the top of the mountain and he is accepted to be the de facto ruler of the republic it's not really a republic anymore um it is now an empire i mean it was already an empire in the sense that it had conquered stuff but it was an empire now in the sense that it had a sole ruler uh, augustus modeled himself as the principate or the first among equals the leader, but he's not like, he's not dominating people. He's not like telling people what to do because he wants stuff. He's telling people what to do because his ideas are the best, right? Who better to lead, but the person with the best ideas. He has a very hands-off approach to leadership. Um, He tries not to ruffle the feathers of anyone. Um, He's very subtly spreading his influence his heirs and the people who came after him would do well to take note of what he's doing here that's working so well. And some will, uh, but others won't, as we'll see, to varying levels of effect. But at this point, the empire is, is very solid. Augustus has ruled for something like 40 years, and the empire's seen peace for the first
0: time in a long time. I think that's important because you know, as we had discussed on the previous podcast, there had been like four to five civil wars, and having somebody, what you know, whether he's like the best guy in the world, having someone that's competent just becomes supreme after a while, right? We may not like the guy; he may not be like the most virtuous guy in the world, but anything, like at some point, anything is better than just constant bloodshed, and you'll you'll take the most competent guy in the room to just to just run things at some point.
1: Oh yeah, and and. Augustus did work to ensure that the Senate felt valued. He he played this really subtle game of simultaneously building the Senate up into an organization with prestige again. Because of course like you know, of course, the Senate should be a prestigious organization, right? They're they're the the seat of government for for the greatest empire the world has ever known, according to them. But While building up their prestige, he was also stripping away their authority.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Playing this dual role of making them feel like they're important while also cutting away all of their importance.
0: Absolutely. And as we discussed, he's grooming his heirs to take over, right? So this is becoming more of a nepotism sort of model of rule. Oh, yeah.
1: So Augustus is having these military parades that are called triumphs, which are a very important quasi-religious ceremony in Roman culture at this time, where when a general wins a great battle or victory, they get to have this, this really I'm hesitant to say cool because people die during them, but let's just say cool uh, military parade <laughs> called the triumph where you generally you parade around uh, the treasures that you took from the enemy and paintings are c- commissioned that show your glorious battles against the barbarians. And you parade the captured soldiers and usually some sort of leader figure through the streets of Rome until you get to the, uh, the temple of Jupiter where they were ceremoniously strangled to death. Wow,
0: wow, so, wow. And and we think that like the, uh, I think of like the Soviet era like parades with the nuclear warheads on the back of tanks but that seems pretty gruesome right like <laughs> yes. Rome always prided itself on not being a like
1: human sacrifice society because they did come in contact with some societies that were into that kind of stuff but it does make you think the ritualisticness of the killing on a temple step after a great victory definitely has a kind of i mean a religious undertone wouldn't you agree
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, my, my thoughts like hearken to the Aztecs and, and things of that sort Who would Absolutely. also, who would take their, uh, you know, they would conquer other, other tribes that were living there and and do that. And I guess, I guess it's, it, it's just, it's just in group affirmation. Like the, these people are other and we have conquered them now and a few of them have to die and, and we have to celebrate that. Yeah. Society, technology changes. Societies don't.
1: Let's hope we don't get back to those parades, my friend. (laughs) Fingers fingers crossed. I think we'll do a little bit better this time. Uh, But yeah. So anyway, so during the reason I bring these up is because during these parades, uh, Augustus has his his nephews riding with him, which is like a very sending a very clear message that like these are these are my next of kin. These are the people who will be taking the reins when I'm gone. Uh, This is who I want ruling the empire. Unfortunately, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men and all that, what ends up happening is everyone that he has in mind for ruling the empire dies of various problems, right? Uh, Disease, accidents, but they die. And he ends up having to go with a person who he doesn't really like, which is interesting. It's like he, he really, really wants to avoid this relative of his, uh, a man named Tiberius. Tiberius is eventually adopted by Augustus as his son because that's like, that's the rule. You um, You have to like adopt them as your son so they can inherit your stuff, which is why what you'll see going on during the reign of the five good emperors is it feels like people are picking their successors, but to the Romans, there it's it's a dynasty it's like his son and his son and his son
0: Mm, right mm, mm.
1: so augustus um adopts his relative but not direct son tiberius and elevates him to the purple which is kind of what we say when we're saying someone is becoming the emperor right yes yes And, and tiberius is a bit miserly he does a decent job. He does things he does well are he's good with the economy. He doesn't like spending money. But things he does not well is he's very, very paranoid, very paranoid.
0: <laughs> and
1: he has people killed in treason trials for believing that they are like going against the the regime. Right. With little no more than just like, you know, one person accuses another person and he happens to trust the one person more. So you're dead. Wow, yes, right. He's paranoid. He is very paranoid. He's doing treason trials, uh, basically executing anyone he even has believes to have a hint of animosity towards his regime. And people do not like this. They're terrified. As he gets older, he gets worse and worse. One of the people that he has uh, executed or assassinated, depending on uh, where where your, your coin lands, is... His, his brother, Germanicus, who is a war hero, he's younger than him, he's where Tiberius is kind of like frumpy and not very likable personality wise, Germanicus is, is a hero, people love, love Germanicus, and he's getting jealous of him. He doesn't it's unknown whether or not germanicus had aspirations to be emperor but what is known is that at some point germanicus takes a trip to egypt which is illegal people of senatorial rank are not allowed in egypt anymore because augustus knows that whoever controls egypt controls the empire because of how rich it is and so it's you know against the law so as soon as germanicus steps foot in egypt Tiberius has him killed.
0: Uh, yeah. So this is, you know, I, I kind of see sort of a um, you're you're crowding my spotlight sort of thing going on here, where even though Tiberius knows that his bro- his brother is not like doesn't have his eye set on taking on taking the throne, there is this idea of like there can't be anyone that can even come close to sort of taking up space in my spotlight going on. Well,
1: well, some some emperors are like that, and some aren't. Tiberius is definitely like that though you're correct. Anyone who's taking up the spotlight even coming close to to imperial aspirations has to go mm-hmm. So Tiberius has his brother killed right he has him poisoned and allegedly poisoned sorry and then um his his children right sorry so t- sorry let me let's let's go through this whole thing. Germanicus is assassinated. His wife is ordered never to remarry, So her husband doesn't or her new husband, but hypothetical new husband wouldn't become a like um, a focal point for another regime. Uh, the oldest son is banished and he dies of either starvation or suicide. And the daughters are sent to live with their great-grandmother, basically out of the way. They're removed from politics. The only one in the family who's left around to even be a thing is a very, very young boy named Guy's Julius Caesar.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: And again, I apologize for the fact that that name is very similar to all the other (laughs) Guy's Julius Caesars. I promise we'll give him a fitting name very soon. So Guy's Julius Caesar is taken by Tiberius to live with him on his in his like palatial estate right where he basically tortures him not like necessarily physically torturing but tortures him like emotionally he makes him into like his little slave boy and he's like kind of te- it's he's like kind of teaching him how to run the government while simultaneously sending the message that like if you cross me or do things that I don't like, I'll have you killed. And this kid is, all things considered, doing okay. And eventually, Tiberius dies of old age. Probably. Now,
0: Tiberius doesn't have kids of his own, or what, what was? No,
1: Tiberius has no kids of his own. Um, Tiberius has a grandson named uh, Gemellus, but he doesn't have any direct children. And the thing is, is that he's Tiberius is grooming gaius to be emperor Mm. because gaius is close to age where he could potentially rule gemellus being very young got it right so this this emotionally scarred p probably suffering from ptsd child is now the emperor uh emperor gaius julius caesar but history doesn't remember him by that name history remembers him by a nickname that was given to him by the soldiers in the military camps that he grew up in. It was Little Boots, or in Latin, Caligula.
0: Ah, okay, okay. Now now we're getting to some uh, main eventers here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I figured you'd know that name. <laughs> so this is, this is the famous, or I guess I should say
1: infamous, Caligula. Caligula, as um, I'm sure I don't have to tell you, is a nightmare. Right, he has his his the grandson Grimellus assassinated. Um, he has his sisters like moved into the palace where there's whispers of of um, uh, whispers of incest. He um, he there's you know there's all the urban legends. He made his horse a consular. He <laughs> um, he he often there are stories of him inviting senators to parties. And then making the senators sit at the dining table while he takes their wives into other rooms to have sex with them. And then he would bring everyone back into the main living room where he would explain to the senator in gruesome detail what he and their wife had just done. Right. And if you showed if you showed any kind of like leanings of outrage or incense, executed.
0: <laughs> wow. It, right. Now, I, I want to touch upon Caligula a little bit deeper. And the story that I was told, and maybe this is not the true story, is that when he first started ruling, he started off OK. And then he contracted some kind of like syphilis type disease or, or, or something something of that sort. He got really sick for a while. And that's when the uh, the batshit craziness started coming out. Is yes. there any truth to that story or, or? There is.
1: That is an anecdote of history that that happened where Caligula was doing people loved Caligula at first um because his he was the son of Germanicus who was hmm. a beloved war hero people loved him they called him um you know like like my shining stars they called him like my my glowing babe they they loved Caligula at first and Caligula seemed to like them he threw lavish parties he had games romans love their games right they love those those colosseum <laughs> games and It's true. He got sick with an illness and many senators who who loved him at the time were saying things like, and this, I want to be clear that this is an anecdote. This may not have exactly happened the way I'm describing it, but it is a historical anecdote, meaning there are first there are primary sources that say this happened, whether or not we can believe these sources is one thing, but I I think it's interesting to note is that, so these senators were saying things like, oh, you know, like, like, oh, if Caligula could get better, then I would die instead. Kind of like in modern English, when someone says like, no God, take me instead, right? (laughs) And, and he did get better. And he heard what these senators had said. And he said to them, like, I'm just, so he's like, thank you so much. For, for your kind words, but I'm just confused as, what are you still doing here? And mm. they're like, excuse me? And he's like, well, you said that if I got better, you would give up your own life. And and it seems like you're still here and breathing, and I just wouldn't want the gods to think that you'd go back on your word. And he forced many senators to kill themselves just because they they had said
0: that little figure of speech. Now I want to look. Th- this is this is by no means true, but I'm I'm just going to play a little historical analysis here, and I'm wondering when Caligula is quote unquote on his deathbed, right? Do you think it's possible that some of these other senators or other high-ranking officials maybe started plotting their own thing, like oh well, this guy's on the way out. Uh, I'm going to start taking over this and that, and and maybe maybe to some degree he was kind of privy. As to what was going on, like oh, this is how the rats act when when they think I'm on the way out. You know, I, I, it might it might it might also be, and again, I don't know if there's any primary source documents or anything that can confirm this, but I'm wondering if just laying there on his deathbed, that there was some indicator or some hints. That people were were plotting to do to have their own plans of how the empire should be ruled. And then miraculously he gets better and he kind of doesn't forget that. He doesn't forget how people act while he's on his deathbed. It's that's definitely a possibility. Many
1: Roman emperors are shaped by their opinions of the Senate. There's a guy named Domitian, who we're not gonna talk about in too much depth, but It's exactly what you're describing, where like before he was emperor, he saw the two-facedness of the Senate. And then when he became emperor, he took a very adversarial approach to them. And it's possible that Caligula had the same thing. However, Caligula was already doing bad things behind the scenes even Mm. before his sickness. He was running through all the, the
0: scrimping and saving that Tiberius was doing. Caligula was already burning through it. Got it. Got it. Now the horse incident that happens after the illness, right? Like that's, that's like post illness Caligula. And again, like, so no one knows if that story is exactly true. I mean, Heck, when I, when I used to teach ancient Rome, I used to tell that story and I was, I kind of had the attitude of like, true or not true, this is going to get kids interested, right? (laughs) And and I I would kind of go in uh, full steam with it. And just thinking about this, this idea of like putting like an animal in charge or something like that. Is it also just a way, like, I'm, I'm wondering, because there is this, like, interpretation, oh, this guy is just sick and crazy, right? And that's, like, the very easy approach to go with. Like, he's crazy. He thinks a horse ha- is smarter. But do you think it's also this, like, message sending of, like, you guys are so corrupt and so freaking messed up and so useless that this horse over here has more value than you'll ever have. I, I think there's also some posturing that's going on here. It's not necessarily just the. Um, and again, like when I first heard the story, I thought, "Oh, crazy dude. Let let's, let 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 let's laugh at the crazy guy." Everyone, ha 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 ha. But now, but now that I think of the story even more, I'm like, I, I think there's some really strong posturing and message sending that's going on with these with this stuff. Yeah,
1: I mean, that is why he did it. He literally
0: said, you people are so incompetent, a horse
1: could do a better job than you.
0: Ah, oh, um, okay.
1: It's, it is that. It is he that. actually said those words. Wow, wow. Well, he said them in Latin, but yeah. They. they <laughs> it was not him thinking a horse would be a great consular. It was him sending a message, you people are so terrible, a horse would do a better job than you would. He used to make them like chase after his imperial ca- – Like he would ride an imperial ca- uh, carriage – and then the, the senators would have to like run after him on foot. right? All of this was just to embarrass them and make them look foolish. He hated them. But mm. there, he also did some insane things, like he declared war on the oceans and Poseidon, which obviously you know sending their <laughs> soldiers to collect seashells in England is insane. It's totally insane. And the soldiers did not like that. There's no reasonable reason that he would do something like that. Syphilis, which is what they think he suffered from, does can one of the side effects of suffering from it can be that kind of like mental rot Mm, mm, right mm. so it's, it's possible that even though he recovered he never recovered so to speak he was reviled though running through all the money and making an enemy of the senate made him reviled he was assassinated by his own guard, the Praetorian Guard, which is something that we should probably touch on. Before Augustus, soldiers were not allowed in Rome, period. There were no police either. Let's that's not a thing. So basically, no one in Rome was allowed to really have serious weapons. People had like clubs, right? But like you couldn't carry like a sword or a spear or like an AR-15 around. You would that was for the army only. When Augustus took over, he said. That he made a, he changed the rules so that one legion was allowed to be stationed in Rome. I think it's one, it might be a couple more. The point is, is that he allows some soldiers to be stationed in Rome as the personal guards of the Principate. And they're called the Praetorian Guard. And we'll see more and more as time goes on that they go from passive bodyguards to being like the literal power in Rome. They they guard the emperor when he sleeps, right? So You know, that's, that's a lot of power, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. And in this case, they're gonna start exerting their first ever kind
0: of like influence by assassinating Caligula. Wow, wow, wow. So I guess he he becomes like the first Roman emperor to be assassinated, right? I I guess. (laughs) Well, Caligula claims that, there's some evidence that Caligula killed Tiberius,
1: but we're not sure. He's the first one to, like, really that we know of to be assassinated. Number three. Pretty good, Rome. You did pretty good.
0: Three <laughs> emperors. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's it's really interesting because, like... I, I'm just so mixed on, on this with like, I want to believe the the craziness. I, you know, it makes it, 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 it it is there and maybe there is this, I'm wondering, could it be possible with the, with the collecting seashell stuff that that's later people writing these stories to slander him and be like, oh, look how crazy that guy was. We had to take him out. He was having our, he was wasting our money and having our soldiers collecting seashells. So, you know, I'm wondering like how, how it is, because we might have all of these, propaganda, like these ancient almost propaganda pieces trying to make someone look highly incompetent, you know, as like sort of a a a rationalization to, to to why they killed him. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And one thing that we have to be really careful of is just like in modern politics, we like to slander our political opponents by calling them like corrupt.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. That's
1: like a big thing in modern politics to be like this guy's corrupt. Watch out for this corruption. That's like everyone's favorite way to put down a politician today. Mm. In antiquity, especially in Rome, the way that you would slander a politician was generally sexual deviancy. I see. Right? That's how you'd put down a politician. So when we read about Caligula being... I mean, that used
0: to work here, but I guess... (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't as much. Uh, Yeah, but you're right, but it doesn't as much. It's, uh, in my opinion, a totally uninformed
1: opinion, I feel like today that's like the buzzword of the day yeah like watch out for this guy he's corrupt people hate corruption this guy is in the pocket of special interests this guy he's taking money from lobbyists he's corrupt and then if if you did that in rome if you were like don't support augustus he's corrupt people would laugh at you and they would be like of course he's corrupt they wouldn't even know what that meant (laughs) (laughs)
0: like they would be like what do you mean
1: corrupt and then you would be like well he's taking money from People who have a special interests in the country, and then they would be like, "So,
0: like, that's what he's supposed to do. Like, what's wrong with you?" Right? That's like calling him a man or something, right? It, it would be like, it, <laughs> yeah, or or it would be like, it would be like, it
1: would be as laughable as saying, like, you shouldn't trust this business because they charge people money for their goods. You'd be like, of course they do. Like, what do you expect them to do, right? Um, so the 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 buzzword of the day was sexual deviancy and so we should be real careful when we we are reading about emperors that the senate doesn't like
0: yeah and then we
1: read that they're sexual deviants we got to remember that the regular populace generally don't write history it's written by these these rich people who one can read and write and two have the time to read and write and two it's written by these these people who have an an agenda yes yes So Caligula was likely a bad emperor, Right. but he maybe wasn't as much of an insane sexual deviant as he's made out to be historically.
0: No, because this is this is really important because I, I feel like every single president that we ever have, you know, maybe starting like with George W., every president always gets compared to Hitler at, at some point or another. We we kind of have this like radical idea, and I'm wondering like what future generations are going to think if they ever find, I mean, first off, we have a lot more media than, than there was in ancient Rome. But like, I feel like there's so much, you know, we, we always try and we have these like, I guess, outrageous clickbait stories about every single president, every single ruler is made to be some kind of giant monster. Yeah. And while we have more media that's kind of producing this, this isn't new. Like comparing, vilifying your your someone you don't like to the absolute extreme with with hyperbole is something that that has always existed and always will exist, and it takes a lot of work. It takes like a lot of work to find like unbiased accounts and very neutral accounts depicting somebody. We see that in ancient Rome at people comparing their political
1: enemies to Caligula in. The future, not the far future, not like our future, but like a hundred years down the line, right? We see that already. And the what you're talking about with the clickbait articles, they had that. They had people standing on street corners yelling, Caligula is having sex with senators' wives and, and being a deviant. He's not good for Rome. He's not good for for our for our, our glorious empire. We need to replace him with some someone else, right?
0: Um oh. This is amazing because a lot of us are 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 blaming like social media for our ills, right? Like man, if if people just went on Facebook or Reddit or something a little bit less. But it seems like we've always had the clickbait mindset. We just didn't have the technology at that particular point to employ it. But like there were clickbait um like town criers, like I think you mentioned in a previous. Oh, yeah. Podcast. and I mean, like if you want to talk
1: about like a lot of things that we hear about today, one of the things that we hear a lot about today is the internet's role in the spreading of misinformation. Yeah. Right. And and I see a lot. People saying things like, this is being done on a scale that's never happened before. <laughs> the internet is a totally new thing. And... Uh, and it's spreading of misinformation is being done on an unprecedented scale. And one, first of all, that itself is misinformation. So good job there. And two, <laughs> what people are forgetting is that there have been communication revolutions throughout history.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's, it's we're going a little bit ahead of ourselves here. But some of the first books that were printed on the Gutenberg printing press were books about how to recognize witches. <laughs> and and they were all false and it's um i i would love to talk more about it another time but i'll give you the very brief ins and outs of it is is there are famous witch hunters who were ousted by the church for being basically lunatics the the church accepted that witch. everyone accepted that witchcraft was a thing it was not in the in the The early medieval era, it was not a question of whether or not witchcraft was real. It was real. It was a question of whether or not people were using witchcraft to do bad things. Right, right. right? And so there were people who said, I can catch bad witches. This is how you do it. And the church, sometimes they would be like, okay, this is a good way to catch witches. And sometimes they would be like, no, this is not a good way to catch witches. And there were plenty of witch hunters who the church basically ostracized and said like, you're out of the church because you are too extreme. This is not correct. You're using it to hunt down your political enemies. You're using it to further your own agenda by giving everyone someone to hate, you're out. And they turned to the printing press which was like the internet of the time. It was a way that people could get the message out without a lot of infrastructure. You know, yes. you didn't need a network of town criers, you didn't need a an army of scribes copying your literature which is the way that that
0: literature got copied before the printing press, right? All you needed was a publisher. Now, turning back to ancient Rome for a second here, how many of the average citizens, like what percentage of the population at this point is literate in in the time of Caligula? Almost none. OK, almost none. So I think that this also connects with this idea of like there's a there's a general lack of education, a lack of literacy. Well, it, it's actually it
1: depends what you mean by literate. They can read some words like it, it, they could they can recognize like the word bathhouse on a building.
0: Got it. Got it. But got they're it. not going to be
1: reading yeah. any books.
0: And that's a and that's the equivalent of like somebody driving and seeing a stop sign. Like they see the word yes. stop, like like, like it's, it's along those same lines. So when you have this like festering population that's not very literate, they're going to be attracted to like, oh, Um, that guy's sleeping with his wife. And then like that, that Mm -hmm. they're they're kind of like their their the reptilian mind is more activated and and more triggered at this point where it's like that's really interesting, whereas no one has actually taught them like the complexity of like, well, you know, Caligula's taxation policy is actually saying blah, blah, blah. You know, like like they're not thinking the the population hasn't been groomed to make really informed choices. Absolutely.
1: We suffered from that even today. Yes, we do. (laughs) I mean, a lot of people in America know how to read, so that's not as much of an issue now. But the problem is, is that the game gets more complicated. It's not enough to know how to read. You need to know how to analyze. And it's becoming to the point where it's not even enough. It's not enough to know how to read. You have to be able to think critically and make informed decisions. And even now, it's turning, starting to become that that's not enough. You You need to know how to read a given. And you need to know how to think critically and you need to be able to do the basic analysis on data required to draw your own conclusions this election this 2020 election just like the 2016 election before it saw unprecedented failure for pollsters and pundits to properly model uh, election results Mm -hmm. right they got it wrong they got it real wrong they underestimate Trump, they overestimate Hillary, they overestimate Biden, they underestimate the Senate, they overestimate the House, that clearly something is wrong, either in their polling or their modeling, that is resulting in way off numbers. Right, 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 right. right, But the fact is, is that if you don't have the tools, if you're not a data scientist, if you don't know how to do two-tailed tests, if you don't know how to do regression testing, then You lack the tools to look at data and be able to make your own decisions. You have to trust the statisticians themselves and hope that they're coming to their own conclusions. And I think a lot of people forget that critical thinking, statistics, and even reading are soft skills or are at least somewhat soft skills. Sure. There's room for interpretation. There's room for for guesswork.
0: Yes. Right. Now I think I think at the very least like I don't know if we can all um you know elevate ourselves to the role of, of data scientist but at the very at the very least at the very least it seems like with Caligula there's an appeal like there's an emotional appeal right because I think when you tell somebody hey this dude is sleeping with other people's wives and forcing them to watch well that's regardless of my, my, my level of data science and so forth, that's just triggering me an emotional level. And I think we see a lot of that going on in our media today, where it's like, forget about even getting people to, to read regression studies They're, they're, they're just, you put something out there and it triggers their emotional primal urge. And that just shuts them off. They're not, they're not into any form of facts whatsoever because now they've been completely lost in the back part of their brain. and, I, I think this is an old technique and I'm glad that we're touching upon it with ancient Rome because it's good to know where you know where it comes from and that it has been done many times over well
1: a lot of it in Rome at this time is not necessarily because Remember that it's an empire, an yeah. emperor, an imperial system of government. So it's not necessarily that they're trying to convince the populace to oust Caligula. It's more like they're just whining a lot and the population is hearing it. Yes, yes, right. Yeah. They're pissed off. And that's what you say about people you're pissed off. You call them sexual deviants. You compare them to Hitler. Right, like
0: you're. They weren't doing it as
1: much at the time. Only a few people knew who Hitler was. They're probably time travelers, but uh, they were whining. They're complaining. Right? They, they hated him, and the results are. We know we can we can debate back and forth on whether or not Caligula was a sexual deviant, whether or not he was insane. But what we can't debate, as easily, is that he did completely drain the he completely drained the treasury uh where his his predecessor was doing a good job of building it up and also he brought back treason trials which he promised he would get rid of he, We right. have records of his speeches where he said no more treason trials he did this whole big showy thing where he burned up all the evidence and fires around the city and it was this huge celebration and then later on he comes around and is like actually i made copies of all the evidence and treason trials are back on <laughs> oh, right? God.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, that, oh, and, that, and that's and that's something. Okay, now again, draining the treasury it doesn't make for as juicy of a story, but that's kind of like the important things that we we need to really train people. And I think that's a really legit reason for wanting to oust somebody from power. And 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 you can actually point to those things. So I I feel like when we're when we're analyzing somebody, we just saying the truth right? Just saying the truth of like, this guy is draining the treasury. That's not going to make people cry and it's not going to activate their emotional glands. So we have to also have this added fabrication of like, he's draining the treasury and he's sleeping with that dude's wife. So it's like, that. that's almost like, I'm just thinking about like the people that are in power are very smart and that they know that just saying the truth isn't really going to get our attention. There also has to be um, like um, emotional, Baggage in, in what's being spread as well.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, there's something to there's definitely something to be said about making people not like your opponents. Yes, right. Yes. It's harder to follow people you don't like, regardless of what they're doing.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And 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 you know, in Caligula, he was probably he was doing some very uh, dirty things. So this emotional stuff probably was like a like an unjust means to a good end, getting rid of a, a corrupt dude. But sometimes we can – it's used for even more nefarious purposes. You might have a good ruler, and now the emotional stuff is being used to kind of slander their good name.
1: Yeah, you have to kind of like pick through the truth in the fiction and, and try to understand what's true and what's not. Like I believe based on the evidence that he probably wasn't incestual. He, his relationship with his sisters was probably more of like post-traumatic st- stress disorder survivorship
0: yeah, kind of stuff
1: where like they all survived Tiberius together. And so he felt a very close bond to them and they were a little bit older than him. So he probably saw them as like mother figures, Mm. but like the story of him, like banging senators wives and then telling and then bragging about it.
0: That probably happened. I believe that that happened. I mean, it definitely, I'll keep telling people it happened because it's just so freaking interesting. (laughs) You know, we're, you know, Brett, it's like, we still have our little reptilian minds in in our heads as well. Like we're not above it. (laughs) Okay. So the dude is assassinated now. Yeah. So Caligula is assassinated by the Praetorian guard. The
1: person The Praetorian Guard knows they need someone to put in his place. Yeah. And the person they decide on is his uncle, a man named Claudius, who at the time was believed to be, this is actually really, really funny because this is kind of what's going on right now, is Claudius (laughs) is, Claudius, uh, is a little bit physically infirmed. He walks with a bit of a limp, like a genetic birth defect, and he has a stutter. He's not a great public speaker. Ah, okay. Because of this, people think Claudius is, like, literally a mentally – is literally mentally invalid. Oh, my God. Jeez. Stop me if this sounds familiar, No,
0: it's, like – it's it's really amazing, right? (laughs) It's It's just a circle.
1: (laughs) So, Claudius, they – and and Caligula keeps Claudius alive because Caligula kills a lot of people in the inner circle during the treason trials. But he keeps Claudius alive because, one, he doesn't see Claudius as a threat at all because he thinks Claudius is literally slow. And two, he likes using Claudius to just make fun of him. He's, he's the butt of the jokes, right? He keeps Claudius around as like a clown. Jesus. And Claudius is like this good-natured, quiet... Stuttering guy who's a little
0: introspective and thoughtful and intelligent, and no one knows
1: because no one will give him a chance.
0: Right? Smart. Let me tell you, man, I, I think I can. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like play a little psychology, ancient Rome psychologist here. here we go. I think Claudius is thinking in his head. Yeah, I'm a buffoon. And he's doing that so that they don't kill him, right? He knows, yeah. he he knows like, yeah, <laughs> I'm too stupid to figure that out. <laughs> and he knows if he keeps playing the clown, his chances of survival are, are going to increase. And and this is all like, that. I, I'm almost sure that's what he's doing. And no one can know for sure. But if I'm playing armchair expert with that, I, I think that's his game plan, man. Absolutely. Like, <laughs> it's, a combination, it's a
1: combination of... Claudius doesn't want to die, and it's a combination likely of, excuse me, of someone who's been beat down their whole life, kind of like accepting their Latin life as a buffoon, and they're like, of course I'm a buffoon, that's what I am, everyone's told me that since I was born, so why would I think I'm anything else, and Claudius ends up being like a really good emperor, he ends up being great, he he fixes the economy a little bit, he, he takes Britain, he does, he, he reinvades Britain, something that hadn't been done since the, since Julius Caesar, right? He's, he's, I don't want to say he's beloved, because, again, people are really put off by the stuttering, <laughs> right, and the, the physical maladies, but he does a good job. History remembers him as a good emperor now for the, the things he did for, for the people. He helps build the economy back up. He does lots of public works buildings. He helps the people of Rome. He turns Rome back into a more respectable city, a more respectable empire. The Senate, even the Senate likes him, right? Like he's, he does a good job of, of doing what Augustus had done before him, of kind of like deferring to the Senate on matters and like building up some of their, their bruised ego that surely Tiberius and Caligula, you know, delivered to them. And The only thing that he really struggled with was his love life. And it's amusing because it's those struggles that are going to spell huge problems for Rome in just a few years.
0: Wow, wow. I think think this is a good place to end off. And I want to stress here, and I think one of the problems that we have, and this is a problem that's haunting us today, is that we tend to favor rulers who appear strong and we're not necessarily attracted to rulers who appear intelligent or kind-hearted. Like we, I've had this, uh, epi- I've talked about this topic before where we tend to think that kind people are weak. Like, th- And this is something that, that is really ingrained in our nature where kind-hearted person is weak and strong person is, is much better to rule. And it's actually, in many instances, it's quite the opposite, like the the, the person who work, walks with a limp, the person who we think is just not that aggressive, probably has some really great ideas, like you said earlier, they're probably highly introspective, and if we just gave them a chance, they'd probably surprise us. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I, would, I would agree with that 100% is that the projection of strength is often a sign of weakness
0: mm yes, yes. I, I think, I, I think the old saying goes, it's like, if you have to show your strength, you're probably all not, you know, you're not that strong. And and I'll even, I, I'll even bring in a study. I, I'm like, I'm not the tallest guy in the world. I'm only five, eight, but you'll notice that guys who are like six foot four, six foot five, or, or really tall and really intimidating looking, they hardly get into any scraps or into any fights. Right. And there's this, this idea that like, They have hidden strength, or people who do martial arts, for example, tend not to get in that many, like out, you know, altercations outside because they have that inner strength and they don't need to necessarily project a persona of strength because it's already there, it's already embedded within them.
1: When I was in school, I remember reading a study about the difference in posture between police officers who carry weapons and police officers who don't. And they found that police officers who are unarmed stand with very aggressive posture, mm-hmm. arms crossed, legs forward, chest out, and then police officers who are carrying weapons stand with relaxed posture. Right. And the possible possible reason for that is that the ones with guns don't need to look aggressive; they know that they're safe, and the ones that don't have guns feel more threatened, and so are projecting strength.
0: Yes. Yes. I I, I think I think that that idea and and. Unfortunately, I think the I think society is tricked by this. We th- we see the um the the guy acting ultra al- alpha male, ultra aggressive, and we think, oh, strong ruler right there. And we need to start training ourselves to realize that it's not the guy beating his chest the hardest that's going to really get us to the promised land. It's really the more quieter, more introspective amongst us that that might be better suited to rule. Uh, Brett, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you again for having me, Aaron. It's always a pleasure. This concludes the sixth part of our series, Rome, the Decline of Democracy. I'm Aaron Azarod.